Today, uh, my guest is uh, Alfred Remitz. The podcast is about giving a voice to people that we don't hear all that often. So where I think that the whole space of learning and development is sort of uh, dominated by a few thought leaders uh, who are all over the place, writing, speaking, presenting. And what we want to do is uh, talk to a lot of people uh, which have different directions and different backgrounds in learning and development. So last week we had Louise Padifoot, who was working in L&D for a long time, first as a big, big corporate and then in her, as her own company. Alfred is more on the other side of things, on the, on the vendor side of things. So expect an interesting conversation. So Alfred, can you give a short introduction uh, of yourself, maybe? Yeah, Kasper, thanks for inviting me today. Um, look forward to the next 30 minutes of uh, talking with you. Um, my name is Alfred Remitz, uh, living in the Netherlands, uh, 61 years old, uh, and started my career in learning and development exactly 35 years ago. On September 16, uh, 1986, I started my own uh, IT training company in the Netherlands, uh, grew that to uh, an organization with about 200 employees and sold that in 2000 to an American-based uh, roll-up. So been active now 35 years in learning and development. And I always say the last 10 years were the most interesting because things are coming together based on what I have done in the years before. And it's now coming to a point where I'm doing the things that I really believe in. And uh, so I look forward to talk about that. Uh, uh, I'm a father with four kin children, married uh, for over 30 years and uh, uh, working most of my part in the Netherlands, the UK and the US. So I travel or used to travel a lot before COVID. I was about uh, one to two weeks a month uh, abroad, and uh, for the past uh, 18, 19 months, I've been in the Netherlands, uh, doing everything that I used to do on travel through Zoom and through uh, Microsoft Teams. Okay, and that's working out for you as an alternative? Um, it's uh, it's a painful alternative, you know. I like to meet <laughs> with, I like to meet with people. I like to see people, and. Uh, um, you know, it's working better in the Netherlands from a business perspective because it's easier to communicate and see people here in the Netherlands, but it's difficult with people in the UK and in the US. You know, uh, I was used to go to conferences to meet people at uh, the big uh, trade shows, and that has not happened for a long time now. And, you know, generating business in the Netherlands is easier uh, where you know the people than in a country you already have the relationship yeah. where you already have the relationships and that's uh, that's the big difference but uh, okay. it seems that the u.s will open again in a couple of weeks so uh, look forward to travel again okay yeah so indeed so i have been staying at home as well uh, for 18 months but uh, last week i uh, did uh, uh, a trip to ukraine to our team there and just experienced again how valuable it is to meet face to face and what it adds so next week i will go to our office in dubai and do the same so Traveling is starting up a bit again, but uh, I think, well, the online component has grew. So you said a couple of interesting things that I want to explore a bit further. So you said at the start of your career, you started up with an IT company. Uh, can, can you give us a bit more about what was that, that about and, and, and what did you want to achieve with that? Yeah, I'm an, uh, I, I have, don't have a background in learning and development. Uh, I studied uh, a minor in psychology and a master in social science, uh, graduated at the University of Amsterdam 
uh, end of 1985, uh, started this uh, job at the uh, unemployment offices as a market researcher. And then in the early 1986, I saw that a lot of companies were buying uh, personal computers. And I think a lot of people won't remember the double floppy IBM machines. Uh, the, the uh, ABM was, IT. I, I had yeah, one, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I saw companies buying it and struggling with how do we use this new type of tools uh, in our organization. So I thought it would be interesting to start a training center to train people on those uh, computers. So started an IT training center uh, in the south of the Netherlands, became one of the larger players in the Netherlands. Uh, at a certain moment, we had nine locations, 60 classrooms, uh, over 200 people that were uh, creating course materials and delivering training all over the Netherlands. Uh, most of it was end-user training, but we also did a lot of uh, reskilling of uh, engineers, uh, software developers, uh, and so on. And I even started in that time building e-learning, Casper. Uh, we had an e-learning company as part of our holding with about 30 people and started in 1988-89 building the LaserDisc e-learning programs and then moved into interactive CD, CDI, uh, uh, developing... Computer-based uh, training at the time, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And then in the, in the mid-90s, moved to the internet. So... Been in learning uh, a long time, uh, been in the traditional space uh, of classroom training and a bit of uh, the old-fashioned e-learning uh, uh, models in until 2000, and then moved into uh, a, a technology company. I created uh, one of the first uh, performance support technology uh, companies in the Netherlands, uh, grew that between uh, 2001 and 2014. Uh, and uh, sold that company, stepped out. And uh, one of the reasons I stepped out was that I found that I was really doing technology uh, for the technology. So uh, everything that I approached uh, with this technology had to be a nail because my technology was the hammer. And I found that when you design and develop learning solutions, it's not about one technology. It's usually about a combination. And it's about... Can we go one step back? By the way, Alfred, because uh, I'm really curious to find out. So you were in like more traditional learning environment and you decided to go into a technology company. Not only that, but also to move from learning to performance support. What was the trigger for that? What was the, why was that? When I did all the end user training on the uh, old Lotus and uh, WordPerfect apps and later on on the Microsoft apps, I found that people really liked the classroom training. And after three days of training, we got real good uh, evaluations, but they had to come back many, many times in refresher trainings. So what we found was that people could learn something, but were not able to perform at the moment of need when they were behind a computer and tried to do a pivot table. They forgot and they didn't know how to do it. And then it was very difficult to find how to do it in the course materials. Uh, you know, you had to find the book and you had to find the right page. It took always long. So they, in many cases, went back to the help desk and asked, how do I do that? So my first company was a performance support company supporting people in using the Microsoft apps. So embedded in Microsoft Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and all the other products, I had a tool that found the right answer in two clicks and 10 seconds 
based on what you wanted to do within those applications. And that's in fact the start of performance support because most of the performance support in the late 90s, early 2000s was around supporting IT apps, you know, was around supporting uh, Microsoft, was around supporting SAP, uh, was around supporting uh, Oracle and all those products where, you know, you needed a lot of support as an yeah. end Okay, but that, that's really interesting because uh, that actually means that you went into the, the basically from, from learning to indeed it, it was really about uh, uh, the retention of the information, but also making the information available while people were working so yeah. they could actually apply what they learned earlier. Absolutely. Okay, interesting. So I think that we'll come back on that later on because I know a bit of your story. So I think we will come back to that a bit. But maybe then, well, uh, then you moved out after 2014, you moved into a new, uh, new step. So that I think that's uh, where you are currently working on. What is that? Yeah, I when I looked at the market in 2014, 2015, I saw that many of the large organizations, formerly clients of mine when I had that IT training company and that technology company, were looking in how do we extend learning into what we then saw as important 70-20-10. You know, 10% of learning is formal, 20% is mentoring and coaching, and 70% is learning at the moment that you're on your own. And um, People were trying to build what they called blended learning solutions that covered everything in 70-20-10. And when I looked at what they were doing, I would call them more blended training solutions than blended learning solutions because it was more around the 10 and the 20. They, they cut up the classroom training from five days to two days, added some e-learning in the front, which is, in my opinion, also the 10 added some e-learning in the, in the back end and some coaching and mentoring, which is the 20 around it. But there was not a lot of, okay, how do we support people in the 70? And that's what I thought would be very interesting if you have the right methodology and the right technologies to support people in that moment of need. And then later on, uh, I read a lot of the work of Josh Burson. Uh, Josh was uh, starting to talk about learning in the flow of work. You know, at that time, he was still with Deloitte. Uh, now he has his own Josh Burson Academy. And he started to talk about how do we support people while they are working? And uh, what is the efficient way to design and develop those uh, uh, solutions? And that's when I started this new company, helping organizations not only with uh, designing and developing these uh, solutions, but also with the strategy with the implementation and especially with the measurement of the impact of these type of solutions, because I believe it's all about impact and not about, uh, you know, liking the course and uh, and giving high high remarks on, uh, you know, I love the course and I love the teacher. It's about yeah. actually what we'll we'll do in the business. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so and um, so uh, well, you have to be talking about a moment of learning needs uh, a few times already. You mentioned that, so uh, uh, so you refer to the five moments of learning needs that uh, probably more people know about. But uh, I think that is like really key in what you do. Maybe you can give us a short uh, overview of what you think is like the essential there. Yeah, you know, I learned that it's not about technology first. Uh, you although having an office in the U.S. and having offices in the Netherlands, I see that in the U.S. organizations tend to buy technology first. 
you know, they see the next shiny penny and they pick it up and they say, okay, I need this. This is so hot, I need to buy it. And what I found is that it's not so much about the technology, although it's important. It's much more about how do I design and develop solutions that support the whole learning journey and performance journey of our employees. It's not ending anymore. You know, we we used to do a a learning solution as a learning and development department, and we did the training and we walked away and it was done. It was finished. What we see now is that a learning journey for our employees is permanent. So um, I run into a a gentleman called Bob Mosier in 2004. I was uh, a board member of Microsoft Learning and Bob was the director of learning Uh, strategy and evangelism at Microsoft. And we started to talk about, you know, the innovation of learning. And uh, I told him a bit about my efforts in uh, performance support. He talked about the methodology that he loved, which was designed and developed by Conrad Gottfriedson, one of his dear friends. And we started to say, hey, we should do this together because it's about the combination of a methodology on how to design these solutions and the right technologies on how to deliver them in the flow of work. And that's uh, when I run into the uh, five moments of need methodology and became friends with uh, Bob Mosier and Conrad Gottfriedson, two of my heroes. And we, uh, you know, from there on started to to develop them. Well, we share them as heroes. So Mm -hmm. I also had the opportunity to speak to them uh, every now and then. But uh, yeah, they're impressive uh, people. Uh, so I can uh, imagine how it is working with them. That's uh, really, really interesting. So that means if you look back at uh, at, at 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 your career, so uh, I pick up two lessons that you said. It's not about technology. Uh, it's more, much more about the methodology and what you do. And it's also not about learning, but about the impact of the learning on the business. Are these the two, are these the two main lessons that you had, or are there more lessons to be learned from your? Yeah, I think it, I, I learned a lot of lessons, not always <laughs> the easy way, also the hard way, Casper. Uh, uh, I think uh, it's, it's, it's about change, uh, too, you know, and culture. Um, it's, it, and COVID had a huge impact on our business, as we all know, you know. I found it very hard until... Uh, early 2020 to convince clients that things needed to be done different, you know, uh, especially learning and development departments and people are very hesitant and resistant to change. They believe what we have done for the past 30, 40 years in our classrooms with our beautiful e-learning was good. Yeah, we got high marks, uh, high ratings. Everybody liked us. And it was good. But um, they are not, and they were not, and they are still not so much interested in business impact. And uh, I think with COVID, we saw that we had to do things different because we couldn't get people in the classroom anymore. And it was not only about bringing everything into Zoom or into uh, Microsoft Teams. They saw that things had to be done uh, in a different way. The other thing that had a huge impact on our industry is that people started to realize that the change of information has gone up. Uh, you know, where when I left my uh, education in 1985, the amount of new information coming to us was about 3 to 4% per 
per year. Today, the amount of information doubles every 12 to 18 months, and IBM predicts that it's going to be every 12 hours within 25 years. So how do we cope with change? How do we cope with the amount of information coming to our employees? And how do we ensure that people have the right information at the moment that they need to perform a task? And I think that's the big difference between uh, what was happening in the past uh, 35 years and what has happened in the last four or five years. You know, people start to realize that change is a continuous factor. And I think COVID helped to uh, provide uh, the insight that we need to do things uh, different. That That's, for me, uh, uh, the big driver. I understand. Okay. So, and uh, if you look then back at the world of learning, and maybe you should say in your case, the world of learning and uh, performance support to make it a bit broader, what do you think would be the biggest milestone so far? What is the thing you would point at as a success or a critical point in history? Uh, I'm not sure if we are there yet. I think the critical point is when uh, uh, learning and development starts to realize that we are not there for learning. Uh, we are there to support the performance of our organizations and of the people in our organizations. Learning for the sake of learning doesn't mean anything, you know. So measuring the amount of learning consumed during a course doesn't say anything. For me, it's the realization that learning needs to have business impact. Uh, there is also now a big debate around having a seat at the table. Having a seat at the table means we want to be at the table of senior management of the C-suite to discuss with them what is needed to support the growth and the development of our organizations in an ever-changing world. And what can we do as learning and development to support the performance of our organizations? That is the big change that is starting to happen. It's not there. There are a lot of organizations that keep on talking about, you know, we did 80,000 hours of classroom training last year. We did 75,000 hours of e-learning consumed. And it doesn't say anything about... Yes, more input yeah. uh, information. Yeah. But that is that is something that's going on for a long time. So, for example, somebody like Cathy Moore is also referring to uh, that with her whole uh, approach. Uh, so learning objectives tied to business goals and stuff like that for the action mapping. So she's also doing that for like 20 years. So do you think that that milestone will ever be reached? Is that, or is it like a... <laughs> I think there is, there, there, there is change happening. And um, uh, I see in some of my projects that once we start with the definition of the KPIs that we will address in our project, what needs to be the business impact, that's our starting point of a discussion. And when you do that, uh, the client will ask you after that, hey, I like that discussion about the KPIs. I like that we move the needle on uh, our operational efficiency within our factories. You know, we do a huge project for uh, Colgate and Colgate measures business impact in what is the improvement in operational efficiency? What is the improvement in asset utilization? Uh, what is the improvement in change over time of our equipment? And uh, that, if you can prove that, if you can measure that, you are the hero because that's what 
the plant managers uh, want to see. And they don't want to hear about, you You know, we got great, great numbers in our eval uh, sheets. They don't care yeah. any yeah. of that, you know. So that's really all about return on investment, but then a return on investment which has a business impact and not like a learning measure in rates or anything. So yeah. that, that is clear. Yeah. Okay, so the, interesting that you're... Uh, at 61, you're still looking to reach the first great milestone there. So that's I like that ambition. <laughs> you know, I always say I lost all my hair over that over the past. Uh, yeah, well, years, uh... same here a bit, I'm afraid. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, and and so um, would that also be the the biggest challenge for corporate learning to actually make the step from learning to a more performance driven organization? Is that the challenge uh, that we have at hand? Yeah, and I don't think it's that difficult, to be honest. It's it's a culture shift. It's not an execution shift. The execution is doable. You know, we have uh, and one of the top things, if you look at the LPI research over the past couple of weeks, the things that people want to see is data, uh, data-driven, data analytics. And we now have the technologies and the tools to measure what the uh, impact is of learning. So it's not so much about execution, it's about cultural change. And uh, what I find when I deal with big organizations, uh, the resistance is not in the business. The resistance is in the learning and development department. You know, they are so used to do things in the old way. They are so proud of their classroom solutions and about their e-learnings and what they have done over the past 25 years, that it's very difficult to get them going onto something different. There is fear. You know, we have always done it this way. Why should we change? Uh, there is a lack of knowledge uh, in many organizations. So people are not looking outside. They keep on looking inwards. What have we done? What are we doing? And what has uh, been successful? What have What are our managers asking us, you know, in many cases, the learning department becomes a logistic department, you know. So we even accept that a manager from the finance department can come to our organizations and ask for five hours of e-learning and four days of classroom training, uh, not discussing with you what the problem is, uh, why four days, why five hours. Uh, no, they, they know what they want. They know what learning means and they don't need you uh, to uh, help them uh, figure it out. They need you to deliver it. And that's not what we want to be as learning and development professionals uh, in this world. You know, we want to be uh, the, the thinkers. We want to be the partners of the business. We want to work with you together in partnership to design and develop the solutions. And that's what is really lacking in our world. And it's a struggle to, uh, to get there. It's a cultural struggle, in my opinion. So it's it's a lot about the mindset then of the people in in your mind in the learning and development department. So they're sort of more traditionally focused and sort of uh, having a challenge to make the next step. Is that true? Yeah, uh, except for some of the uh, bigger thinkers and thought leaders. You know, I, I work with uh, Rob Lauber at uh, McDonald's. He's one of the most business-oriented CLOs I've ever met. I'm working with Brett... Uh, um, Brad Watt, uh, who is the uh, CLO at uh, Colgate, he has a marketing background. He really understands what he wants to achieve with uh, implementing learning and performance uh, solutions. That's not about 
the beauty of learning. It's about the impact of learning, and that's uh, that's what I like. So there are there are thought leaders that that see what is needed and 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 are talking business uh, first and learning second. And and would you say that it's necessary for learning and development to actually make that shift that you're describing uh, to to stay current or to become current? How bad is the situation in your mind? I think it's to become current. Uh, I think okay. it's it's they are old, they are behind, they are doing things that are not really efficient. If you look, read the research, the amount of waste created by traditional and current learning solutions is over 60%. So if we divide, decide and design solutions of which only 40% is effective, then at a moment that there is a next reorg coming up, then we are the first ones that's going to be cut again, which has been the, the case for the last three, four decades. If there was an issue in the economy and we had to cut costs, learning was one of the first uh, areas where the cuts went first. And we need to avoid that. We need to be so important to the business that we are the last to be cut because we are the ones that keep the organization up to par, in front of uh, the competition, continuously current. That's what we need to be. And I think that's what we should be and we can be. And I think that's the change that is currently happening in organizations. Okay. And so... Do you have any idea what the reason is that so in your mind uh, it, uh, the, it's not like uh, really up to par, the, the, the mindset in learning development, a bit uh, outdated, if I can uh, sort of quote you on that. Um, so do you think there's a specific reason? Is that uh, yeah, like you, but uh, many other people do not really have uh, education. They are not trained to be, be a learning and development person. They they come from all over the yeah. place with very, very different directions. Is that something yeah, of the absolutely, reason? Yeah, absolutely. People come out of um, other areas and then um, in some cases, learning and development is the last job they do. Uh, they have not been trained in the uh, basic points for learning and development of which business understanding is a key one. Data analytics and understanding the impact of your solutions is a key one. And even if you look at the traditional educations at university in learning and development, they are still behind. They are using the old books. They are all using the old theorists. They are not uh, on par with the innovation in learning and development. Well, I think I think that's way worse. So my experience is that indeed uh, some corporations are behind, but I think that the way they are now picking up uh, new technologies, new directions, new uh, solutions, it's, it's increasing. And if I look at schools and universities, uh, nothing really changed there in the last 10 years at all. So there is no connection to actual work or, uh, yeah, it's really, really different. I think that that is maybe that's a, a bigger challenge even than uh Bring it a corporate world. Yeah, to, to speak. it's starting a little bit. You know, if you look at the uh, 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 the course learning and development in organizations, the deployed by the uh, uh, RNM uh, uh, school, uh, the HOM, uh, that is a starting point. That that course is going into the direction of 
being a more innovative approach to creating learning leaders that understand what's happening in uh, the world of learning and development today. That that is a starting point. It's it's slow. Yeah. It's interesting to you that that uh, that the one course that is different is not talking about manager but a leader. So that's also already a different mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, just to wrap up a bit, I have a couple of uh, questions uh, sort of to see uh, where you are. So you already mentioned that uh, Bob and Colm are two of your heroes, but who would be your ultimate learning hero? Yeah, my ultimate learning hero is Donald Clark. Uh, And Donald Clark is, uh, I think his background is philosophy. And um, he is a guy that really understands what is the theory or are the theories behind learning and development. And he's doing a podcast series uh, around the 100 leading thinkers in the world of uh, leading theorists in the world of learning and development. And he states that many of the learning practitioners people that call themselves learning and development professionals don't know anything about the theory and the theorists behind learning and development. And and Donald Uh is somebody that really understands what has been going on in the world of uh, learning and development theory. What has worked, what hasn't worked, why hasn't it worked, why are things now working that didn't work in the past, and understanding the theory and the background and the principles of learning and development and reading about it is so important uh, in our world. And, and there are other writers that like Paul Kirchner, uh, Miriam Nele, uh, people that look at uh, evidence-based uh, learning. Uh, that, that are the people that really start to think about, you know, how do we do things with learning and development that really do something Uh, on uh, performance that have business impact and that you can create evidence around the fact that it's working. You know, there is no no causal uh, 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 effect between classroom training and impact on the job. It's it's so hard uh, to measure. It's good for your culture. People like it and it creates an atmosphere of people are investing in me, but there is not a lot of uh, a proof that the classroom training is really causing uh, impact uh, uh, in the performance of our employees. And, and what Donald Clark is doing and what he's writing about, and he focuses, uh, for example, on AI and learning, uh, which I really think is an important uh, topic for the coming five years, then that's, that's worth reading. He's, he's from, from the thought leadership, he's one of my ultimate, uh, ultimate heroes. Okay. Clear. Uh, so, by the way, uh, for people listening, we will share the, the names uh, and other uh, maybe links uh, for you uh, with the podcast so you can follow on that if you want. So, and as, uh, just uh, close to this question is the next one. So, uh, what is the most important book on learning and performance on your mind uh, that people should read today? Yeah, for me, that is uh, the book that uh, Bob Moser and Conrad Gottfriedson have written. Uh, it's uh, innovative. Uh, performance support uh, solutions, which in fact is an extension of the first book written on performance support technology in 1991 by uh, Gloria Geary. And uh, Bob have written this now about 10 years ago, and it's about connecting the five moments of need methodology with uh, performance support uh, solutions and technologies. I think 
in 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 my world, that is really uh, one of the most impactful uh, books that has been written. And it took, by the way, about ten years to get it more popular, uh, because at the moment they they published it, it was not even that popular. And when Gloria Geary published her book about electronic performance support systems in 1991, it wasn't that popular. It's coming up now because people now see that it's doable, it's it's affordable, it's not costing a fortune anymore to build uh, a powerful uh, workflow learning and performance support uh, solution. So, uh, Correct. so that's that's what's uh, so that's what's happening. Okay, so we'll share that uh, that book as well. So, uh, and by the way, that all, all sort of circles back to what you said earlier, that it's no longer the technology holding us back. Uh, so basically you can do anything uh, and everything. Yeah. It's much more the mindset and actually uh, doing it, yeah. uh, which is uh, needed next. I agree with that. Okay, and as a final question I have, do you have anyone I should talk to next in this series? So any advice on a person that I should approach for an interview? Yeah, you, I think the known people uh, are. Uh, I would I would always want to interview Donald Clark, and that guy is always willing to do an interview. He's doing a session for Next Learning this week. Uh, he's presenting on my conference end of November. Uh, that 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 guy is always interesting. But uh, I think in the Netherlands, if you look at people that really see what's changing in the world of learning, then I I like uh, Mark Visser. Uh, a lot. Mark, yes. Mark is a guy that has been working on interactive video and the, and the place of interactive video in learning. Uh, he is not one of the well-known speakers and uh, theorists in, in the world, but uh, I really... He's actually a former, former colleague of mine, oh. so I know him well. <laughs> okay, good. But I, yeah. I like him a lot. I like... Yeah, he was the CEO of InBrain, which was a sister company of Easy Generator yeah. in the past. Ah, okay, so. oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. yeah, Mark is one of the guys that I, I really like in this uh, in this world. And another one is uh, Marco van Sterkenberg, who's a specialist in adaptive uh, learning. Another Dutch guy that uh, really understands what's happening in the world of adaptivity. Adaptivity is one of the leading technologies for me in the future, you know, is, is adapting uh, uh, learning to the person that is consuming uh, the learning. Uh, Elliot Macy spoke six years ago about the future of learning was personalization. For me, that is a big, uh, big thing. And, and adaptive okay. technologies will be very important. In that okay, approach. cool. So you advise both Marco and Mark yeah, to absolutely. talk to us. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you for that. So that, that would be interesting. So I definitely will follow up on that. Uh, any last thoughts on your side uh, that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, I think it's about being open to what is happening around us. Um, uh, people don't read enough. People don't go to conferences, even virtual conferences enough. We need to look what is the neighbor doing, what are similar companies as we doing. We need to learn more from what is successful and what is not successful. Let's share stories about success, but also let's share stories about failure. I think going out again and talk with peers in our world, being a member of an organization that is there to support you. In the Netherlands, we have developed as the leading organization for learning and development professionals. That's where you need to be. That's where we as learning and development professionals need to meet other learning and development professionals 
to understand what's happening in the world. We are too much in, in inbound focused. You know, we're looking in our own domain, in our own world. Uh, we're not looking enough outside. So my advice is start going out again to uh, meet other people and talk with other people about what is happening, what is working, what is not working, what makes you happy, what makes your organizations happy, and what is successful. Okay, well, that's interesting because that's quite a, an old school advice just to talk to people and, and tap into their experience. But uh, I think it's a valuable one. <laughs> no, it's not old so, school. It's only old school if you only do it in a classroom. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, uh, no, speaking and, and, and being a, a member of platforms and organizations and do a lot of chat and exchange is, in my opinion, very modern, you know. I, I am also a believer in social learning, but it needs to be connected to topics that you really are interested in and not to, uh, you know, always the, the general yeah. uh, trends. No, I agree with you. So I think one of the reasons I do this podcast, of course, we want to inter uh, to talk to people and see what it's about. But uh, for me, it's also really interesting to indeed talk to people and learn from them. So it's also really a personal takeaway for me there. So well, thanks, Alfred, for lessons learned and uh, spending time to talk to me and uh, well, for follow up on your suggestions. And uh, thank you for that.